Book Six, Chapter Twenty of Henrietta Temple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Henrietta Temple by Benjamin Disraeli. Book Six, Chapter Twenty, in which Ferdinand receives more than one visit and finds that adversity has not quite deprived him of his friends. In the meantime, morning broke upon the unfortunate Ferdinand. He had forgotten his cares in sleep, and, when he woke, it was with some difficulty that he recalled the unlucky incident of yesterday, and could satisfy himself that he was indeed a prisoner. But the bars of his bedroom windows left him not very long in pleasing doubt. His friend, the little waiter, soon made his appearance. "'Sleep pretty well, sir? Same breakfast as yesterday, sir? Tongue and ham, sir?' Perhaps you would like a kidney instead of a devil? It will be a change. I have no appetite. It will come, sir. You ain't used to it. Nothing else to do here but eat. Better try the kidney, sir. Is there anything you fancy? I have made up my mind to go to jail today. Lord, sir, don't think of it. Something will turn up, sir. Take my word. And, sooth to say, the experienced waiter was not wrong. For bringing in the breakfast followed by an underling with a great pomp of plated covers, he informed Ferdinand, with a chuckle, that a gentleman was inquiring for him. "'Told you your friends would come, sir?' The gentleman was introduced, and Ferdinand beheld Mr. Glastonbury. "'My dear Glastonbury,' said Ferdinand, scarcely daring to meet his glance, "'this is very kind, and yet I wish to have saved you this.' "'My poor child,' said Glastonbury. "'Oh, my dear friend,' It is all over. This is a more bitter moment for you even than for me, kind friend. This is a terrible termination of all your zeal and labors. Nay, said Glastonbury, let us not think of anything but the present. For what are you being held in durance? My dear Glastonbury, if it were only ten pounds I could not permit you to pay it. So let us not talk of that. This must have happened sooner or later. It has come, and come unexpectedly, but it must be borne, like all other calamities. But you have friends, my Ferdinand. Would that I had not. All that I wish now is that I were alone in the world. If I could hope that my parents would leave me to myself, I should be comparatively easy. But when I think of them, and the injury I must do them, it is hell. It is hell. I wish you would tell me your exact situation, said Mr. Glastonbury. Do not talk of it. Does my father know of this? Not yet. "'Tis well. He may yet have a happy day. He will sell Armine. Glastonbury shook his head and sighed. "'Is it so bad?' he said. "'My dearest friend, if you will know the worst, take it. I am here for nearly three thousand pounds, and I owe at least ten more. And they will not take bail? Not for this debt. They cannot. It is a judgment debt, the only one. And they gave you no notice?' "'None. They must have heard somehow or other that my infernal marriage was off. They have all waited for that. And now that you see that affairs are past remedy, let us talk of other topics, if you will be so kind as to remain half an hour in this dungeon. I shall quit it directly. I shall go to jail at once. Poor Glastonbury. He did not like to go, and yet it was a most melancholy visit. What could they converse about? Conversation, except on the interdicted subject of Ferdinand's affairs, seemed quite a mockery. At last, Ferdinand said, Dear Glastonbury, do not stay here. It only makes us both unhappy. 
Send Louis with some clothes for me and some books. I will let you know before I leave this place. Upon reflection, I shall not do so for two or three days, if I can stay as long. See my lawyer. Not that he will do anything, nor can I expect him. But he may as well call and see me. Adieu, dear friend. Glastonbury was about to retire when Ferdinand called him back. This affair should be kept quiet, he said. I told Louis to say I was out of town in Brook Street. I should be sorry were Miss Temple to hear of it, at least until after her marriage. Ferdinand was once more alone with the mirror, the loo table, the hard sofa, the caricatures which he hated even worse than his host's portrait, the Hebrew Bible, and the racing calendar. It seemed a year that he had been shut up in this apartment, instead of a day, he had grown so familiar with every object, and yet the visit of Glastonbury had been an event, and he could not refrain from pondering over it. A sponging house seemed such a strange, such an unnatural scene for such a character. Ferdinand recalled to his memory the tower at Armine, and all its glades and groves, shining in the summer sun, and freshened by the summer breeze. What a contrast to this dingy, confined, close dungeon! And was it possible that he had ever wandered at will in that fair scene with a companion fairer? Such thoughts might well drive a man mad. With all his errors, and all his disposition at present not to extenuate them, Ferdinand Armine could not refrain from esteeming himself unlucky. Perhaps it is more distressing to believe ourselves unfortunate than to recognize ourselves as imprudent. A fond mistress or a faithful friend, either of these are great blessings, and whatever may be one's scrapes in life, either of these may well be sources of consolation. Ferdinand had a fond mistress once, and had Henrietta Temple loved him, why, he might struggle with all these calamities. But that sweet dream was past. As for friends, he had none, at least he thought not. Not that he had to complain of human nature, he had experienced much kindness from mankind, and many were the services he had received from kind acquaintances. With the recollection of Ketch, to say nothing of Bond Sharp, and, above all, Count Mirabel, fresh in his mind, he could not complain of his companions. Glastonbury was indeed a friend, but Ferdinand sighed for a friend of his own age, knit to him by the same tastes and sympathies, and capable of comprehending all his secret feelings. A friend who could even whisper hope, and smile in a sponging house. The day wore away, the twilight shades were descending. Ferdinand became every moment more melancholy, when suddenly his constant ally, the waiter, rushed into the room. My eye, sir! Here is a regular knob inquiring for you. I told you it would be all right. Who is it? Here he is coming up. Ferdinand caught the triumphant tones of Mirabel on the staircase. Which is the room? Show me directly. Ah, Armin, mon ami, mon cher. Is this your friendship? To be in this cursed hole and not send for me? Say un moi vos plaisantiers to pretend we are friends. How are you, good fellow? Fine fellow, excellent Armine. If you were not here, I would quarrel with you. There, go away, man. The waiter disappeared, and Count Mirabel seated himself on the hard sofa. My dear fellow, continued the Count, twirling the prettiest cane in the world, this is a batiste of you to be here and not send for me. Who has put you here? My dear Mirabel, it is all up. Pa! How much is it? I tell you I am done up. It has got about that the marriage is off, and Morris and Levison have nabbed me for all the arrears of my cursed annuities. But how much? Between two and three thousand. Count Mirabel gave a whistle. I brought five hundred, which I have. We must get the rest somehow or other. My dear Mirabel, you are the most generous fellow in the world. 
but I have troubled my friends too much. Nothing will induce me to take a sou from you. Besides, between ourselves, not my least mortification at this moment is some fifteen hundred pounds, which Bond Sharp let me have the other day for nothing, through catch. Pah! I am sorry about that, though, because he would have lent us this money. I will ask Beville. I would sooner die. I will ask him myself. It is impossible. We will arrange it. I tell you who will do it for us. He is a good fellow, and immensely rich. This is Fritz Warian. He owes me great favors. Dear Mirabel, I am delighted to see you. This is good and kind. I am so damned dull here. It quite gladdens me to see you, but do not talk about money. Here is five hundred pounds. Four other fellows at five hundred pounds. We can manage it. No more, no more, I beseech you. But you cannot stop here. Kill de l'appartement. Before Charlie Daracourt was in Parliament, he was always in this sort of houses. But I got him out somehow or other. I managed it. Once I bought of the fellow five hundred dozen of champagne. A new way to pay old debts, certainly, said Ferdinand. I tell you, have you dined? I was going to, merely to have something to do. I will stop and dine with you, said the Count, ringing the bell, and we will talk over affairs. Laugh, my friend, laugh, my Armin. This is only a scene, this is life. What can we have for dinner, man? I shall dine here. Gentlemen's dinner is ordered, my lord, quite ready, said the waiter. Champagne and ice, my lord? To be sure, everything that is good. Mon cher Armin, we shall have some fun. Yes, my lord, said the waiter, running downstairs. Dinner for best strolling room directly. Green pea soup, turbot, beefsteak, roast duck, and broad chicken. Everything that is good. Champagne and ice, two regular knobs. The dinner soon appeared, and the two friends seated themselves. Potage admirable, said Count Mirabel. The best champagne I ever drank in my life. Mon brave, your health. This must be Charlie's man, by the wine. I think we will have him up. He will lend us some money. Finest turbo I ever ate. I will give you some of the fins. Ah, you are glad to see me, Maramine. You are glad to see your friend. Encore champagne. Good Amin, excellent Amin. Keep up your spirits. I will manage these fellows. You must take some beef tuck. The most tender beef tuck I ever tasted. This is a fine dinner. Encore un verre. Man, you may go. Don't wait. By Jove, Mirabel, I never was so glad to see anybody in my life. Now you are a friend. I feel quite in spirits. To be sure, always be in spirits. Say un Baptiste not to be in spirits. Everything is sure to go well. You will see how I will manage these fellows, and I will come and dine with you every day until you are out. You shall not be here eight and forty hours. As I go home, I will stop at Mitchell's and get you a novel by Paul de Croc. Have you ever read Paul de Kock's books? Never, said Ferdinand. What a fortunate man to be arrested. Now you can read Paul de Kock. By Jove, you are the most lucky fellow I know. You see, you thought yourself very miserable in being arrested. Tis the finest thing in the world, for now you will read Mon Vosan Raymond. There are always two sides to a case. I am content to believe myself very lucky in having such a friend as you, said Ferdinand. But now, as these things are cleared away, let us talk over affairs. Have you seen Henrietta? Of course. I see her every day. I hope she will not know of my crash until she is married. She will not, unless you tell her. And when do you think she will be married? When you please. 
Cher ami, pour te la moquer. By Jove, I am quite serious, exclaimed the Count. I am as certain that you will marry her as that we are in this damned sponging house. Nonsense. The very finest sense in the world. If you will not marry her, I will myself, for I am resolved that good Montfort shall not. It shall never be said that I interfered without a result. Why, if she were to marry Montfort now, it would ruin my character. To marry Montfort after all my trouble? Dining with that good temple, and opening the mind of that little Grandison, and talking fine things to that good duchess, it would be a failure. What an odd fellow you are, Mirabel. Of course. Would you have me like other people, and not odd? We will drink La Belle Henrietta. Philip, you will be my friend when you are married, eh? Mon ami, excellent garçon, how we shall laugh some day, and when this dinner, this dinner will be the best dinner we ever had. But why do you think there was the slightest hope of Henrietta not marrying Montfort? Because my knowledge of human nature assures me that a young woman, very beautiful, very rich, with very high spirit, and an only daughter, will never go and marry one man when she is in love with another. And that other one, my dear fellow, like you. You are more sure of getting her because she is engaged. What a wonderful thing is a knowledge of human nature, thought Ferdinand to himself. The Count's knowledge of human nature is like my friend the waiter's experience. One assures me that I am certain to marry a woman because she is engaged to another person, and the other, that it is quite clear my debts will be paid because they are so large. The Count remained with his friend until eleven o'clock, when everybody was locked up. He invited himself to dine with him tomorrow, and promised that he should have a whole collection of French novels before he awoke. And assuring him over and over again that he looked upon him as the most fortunate of all his friends, and that if he broke the bank at Crockey's tonight, which he fancied he should, he would send him two or three thousand pounds. At the same time, he shook him heartily by the hand, and descended the staircase of the sponging house, humming, Viva la Bagatelle. End of Book Six, Chapter Twenty. Recording by Todd.